Last Sunday, I shared the three legs of a stool upon which we all need to be developing our faith throughout our entire lives. But also, as we seek to understand who Christ is and who this God is that we follow, who we're following when we say that we're Christians. Through prayer, the reading of Scripture, and the study of Scripture, and through sharing our lives and our stories with one another, we continue this journey that we're on, the journey of following Jesus. Really, that's what our lives are all about, becoming followers of Christ. If God is the one who made us in the divine image, meaning you and you and you and you were all made in the image of God, then we understand God more when we understand ourselves more, and we understand ourselves more when we understand God more. Our lives become this opportunity for us to ask the difficult questions in the hope that as we journey, as we journey through all of it, we will know God and ourselves more. This is the Christian invitation, and it's also this ongoing move toward being a follower. Some people find it strange and maybe even a little disappointing when I say that we're on this journey toward becoming a Christian. It's as though our identity is so wrapped up in our religion that we follow that we somehow think that our formation as a Christian is complete at some marked point in time. Perhaps at the end of confirmation, when we're, uh, when we're making uh, statements of our faith, or when we join a church, or when we check a box, or when someone asks us, what is your religion that you practice? Christianity becomes like an identity, or even a set of practices that we're following, or, or a history, like a family history, a connection to our past, to our parents or grandparents, perhaps. In one of my first sermons here, I shared with you an excerpt from an interview with Maya Angelou, the famous poet, author, and activist. Angelou was interviewed in 2011. It was just a few years before her death. And in that interview, she said, I'm always amazed when people walk up to me and say, I'm a Christian. I think, already? You've already got it? I'm working at it. You're a Christian? Already? Our faith isn't like a flip of a light switch. We are or we aren't. Rather, it's this continual process of formation. In some ways, this is great. Think of a favorite TV show, right? T TV series or maybe a favorite book series that you've liked. You get to the end, that last episode of the season, or the last season of all the seasons, or the last book in the series. It can certainly bring some satisfaction, but for me, it also brings a letdown. Like, oh, it's final, it's over, it's done. And so our faith, rather than being like one of those series that comes to an end, our faith is continually growing and forming and developing as we continue to try to understand what it means to follow God. Our gospel lesson this morning from Matthew's Gospel, starts out with Jesus getting into a boat and his disciples following him. It seems innocent enough, 
Jesus got in the boat, and his disciples followed him. That's, that's what disciples do, right? They follow. But this opening of the text, it's critically important. Jesus leads his disciples, these relatively new followers, followers who've been asked to give up everything to follow him. He leads them, and they trust him, and he leads them into this boat. Then the storm comes. The storm comes, and they are freaking out. That's a technical term, right? They are freaking out. They're panicking. And it makes sense that they would be. The question that Jesus asks them in the middle of that storm, in the storms of our own lives, the question is, why are you afraid? And at first, they must have wondered whether Jesus was messing with them. Was he playing a game? Why are we afraid? I heard someone once say that Jesus' question was like one swimmer asking another swimmer, why are you wet? It feels like Jesus is playing a game with the disciples. Why are you afraid? But he's not playing games. He's serious. And so are these men. And so, yes, Jesus got in the boat, and his followers went with him. And then came a great storm. Our, our text says a windstorm arose on the sea, a great storm that swamped the boat with waves. We've got a lot of words for storms, don't we, in, in English, for weather, right? We know the difference between all these variety of storms. Well, sometimes we don't know the difference till they happen, but we read about these names that they use, and it sometimes feels like they're coming up with new words constantly. I'm learning more and more about weather since living here than I ever imagined I would know about weather. <laughs> And we use great words, right, to describe weather, like thundercloud or squall. And here, of course, last year we had the fun vortex, right, polar vortex. I looked at other translations of this text, modern translations of this text, and, and there's some difficulty in describing this storm. Some texts, they call it a tempest. And challenging the, or the, the, translating the Greek can be challenging. But just like we've got many words for storms, so did Matthew. Matthew had choices he had to make in writing down this gospel. He had choices. And like any writer, he considers all those choices, the different words for storms. And in this case, he chooses this word, sesmos. Sesmos. In English, we write it as S-E-I-S-M-O-S, sesmos. This storm is a great sesmos, he says. Sesmos. We know this word. You may not recognize it at first, but we know it. Seismologists. They study earthquakes. Seismographs. They measure earthquakes. This word is a word we know. If we describe an earthquake, it's a powerful, shaking strength. And it's a word that Matthew is using here to describe the storm, and it's a word he only uses two other times in his gospel. Once to describe the shaking of the earth at the crucifixion. 
and again to describe the earthquake at the resurrection. So once when sin is being conquered by the death of Christ, and another when death is being conquered at the resurrection, and then this third time when Jesus is present in the midst of fear. In the midst of fear. When the followers of Jesus face fear with Jesus, and Jesus shatters that fear. Sesmos. This great shaking storm. Some storms we can see coming, right? But other storms, not as much. Last summer, on the night of our last, our third and last summer barbecue, I was tracking the weather all afternoon. And it looked pretty good. We had a 3% chance of rain. I had a rain plan, but I felt pretty confident that we'd be okay. We set everything up outside, and the food was ready, and people were gathered. Many of you were there. As just about everyone had gone through the food line, and the conversations were getting into their rhythm, entering full swing, Peter Weber came up to me and said, there's a storm coming. I blew him off at first. I said, Peter, you're a naysayer. You look for the negative. And he just shrugged and walked away. I quickly pulled out my phone to pursue him, to show him my favorite number, 3%. But the prediction had changed to something like 99% with the storm coming in 10 minutes. Oh, I was so frustrated. Peter didn't know, need this app to know it, right? He pointed to the sky and said, that's coming here, and it's coming fast. <laughs> it did come, and anyone who was there might remember our mad dash to get everything inside in about 10 minutes flat before the heavens unleashed a great fury, a sesmos. Some storms we can see coming, and some come suddenly. When the disciples followed Jesus onto that boat for their afternoon sail across the Sea of Galilee, they must have been expecting something quite different. Birds chirping, smooth, glassy seas. But the reality, and the reality that plays out throughout the gospel, and the reality that plays out in our own lives is that when we get in the boat, when we get in the boat, sometimes we get soaked. Sometimes the storms come. And getting in the boat with Christ doesn't mean that our lives will be without storms. No, it isn't the absence of storms in our lives that sets followers of Christ apart. It's the one we discover in the midst of the storm. The one we discover in the storm. The disciples discovered that Jesus was sleeping in the storm. Sleeping in the midst of this great storm. Sleeping in the midst of thunder and the waves and the cries of the disciples. He was sound asleep. 
It's like sleeping through a roller coaster ride, right? Or, or the crashing of cymbals or sleeping through a screeching car accident. Jesus is sleeping. And they wake him up and he looks around. He looks at them. And he asks them that question. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And I wonder if Jesus, stepping into our lives, asks the same question. Why are you afraid? You see, our lives can be so consumed with fears. Fears of tomorrow. Fears for our children. Fears of failure. Fears of our health and well-being. Fears of the economy, of wars, of catastrophic illness. Fears of elections politics. Life is filled with these fears. Now, fear is interesting, right? Because it can serve a purpose sometimes. We run out of burning buildings because of fear. Fear of punishment sometimes leads us to follow rules, rules that are for our safety. Fear can be healthy. But fear can also cause us to do unhealthy things, things that lead us to separate ourselves from others and from God. When we treat our fears by masking them or trying to control them ourselves by not verbalizing them, by not talking about them, by not inviting God into our fears, we allow the fear to become what defines us. Jesus asks us why we're afraid, but he doesn't discount or dismiss our fear. He asks us to remind us and to teach us who it is that we're following. To show us that even in the sesmos, the great storms, the overwhelming tempests of our lives, there is one who is with us, one who can handle our storms, one who has no fear of our storms, one who walks with us through our storms, one who gives us the strength that we cannot find, giving us a resilience that comes not from within us, but from our God who loves us, our God who protects us, our God who guides us, who cares for us, who loves us. Liz read our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah chapter 30. The prophet Isaiah in that text is speaking into the greatest storms of life. You know, bread and water, they're seen as our sustenance. In this text, he calls it the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. He says, when you have the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. When all of this happens, when the storms come, when the fears overcome us, when we're tempted to be defined by the things that point us to despair, when we feel as though we are eating the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, it's then, in the midst of the things that feel the most distant from God's love, the most opposite, the antithesis of God. It's then, Isaiah writes, that God will not be hidden from us. 
And when you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When the storms come, and and friends, they will come. You know this well. The storms will come. It's then, in those storms, that we realize that God is not just present in the storms. God is greater than the storms. When the storms come, rather than running from God, even though so many voices will tell us that we've been abandoned by God, may we sprint toward God. May we follow God and seek God and allow God into our fear. May we listen then for God's voice. This is the way. Walk in it. Those legs of the stool of our faith, prayer, scripture, vulnerability, there. There are avenues to hear that voice, to be attentive to God's presence in our lives so that when the storms do come, we're not consumed by fear, but we're instead standing amazed, like those disciples, amazed by the one who calms the sea. What sort of man is this, the disciples asked, that even the winds and the sea obey him? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.